0: So I want to I begin just to throw this out there, to give you a question to ponder. You don't need to answer it. You don't need to raise your hand. You don't need to shout anything out. Just ask yourself this question. What are you looking forward to this Christmas? What are you looking forward to? I think there's probably two groups of people that are looking forward to Christmas more than everybody else. The first group is children, and the second group is teachers, (laughs) right? (laughs) And all the teachers said, amen. Um, But I think they look forward to Christmas for different reasons. I'm kind of sure about that. Um, We know why teachers are looking forward to Christmas. Peace on earth, right? Um, And uh, kids are looking forward to Christmas for presents. And so I was just doing a little, you know, You guys think that I just sit in my office all week and, you know, do nothing and play video games on my computer and stuff like that, but actually I do careful, copious research in preparation for these sermons, and in my copious research this week, I came across some uh, letters to Santa Claus. What I had to do was hack Santa's email, and I got in, and I found these letters to Santa Claus, and... Some of them I thought were worth our attention. This one says, please text my dad. He has the whole list, okay? So (laughs) this is a 21st century kid. He's like, I'm not going to waste time with all this. I gave the information to my dad. Text him. I'm sure you have his number. Now, let me read this one to you. Dear Santa, I am Addison. I have been good, lots of good. I want a doll like Cayman. I want whatever I want. You fix it with your elves. My brother is Jackson. By the time it is Christmas time, he will be grown up. Bring him baby diapers. When I was three, he peed in my mouth once. <laughs> I spit it out. <laughs> and it goes on and says some other stuff. Let's look at the next one. Dear Santa Claus, C-L-A-W-S, Santa Claus. I'm so sorry of what I did in the past. And thank you for the Christmas letter I love it, but what I want for Christmas this year is $53 billion. (laughs) Please write another note. I don't know if he meant to send that to Bill Gates, but it got to Santa Claus. (laughs) Next one. Uh, Dear Santa, Mom is on a diet, so we don't have cookies anymore. (laughs) Have some of my Cheez-Its instead. They're good, too. Don't forget about Molly. She's been a very good kitten and whatever the dog's name is, a good pup too. Merry Christmas. Next, this one speaks for itself. You better bring my pony this year or there will be consequences. (laughs) What I want to know is how is a kid that is the age to draw that picture know the word consequences? (laughs) I'm guessing that kid has had some issues with his parents over time and has learned about. Consequences. Is that the last one or is there one more? Is that it? Yeah. Oh, this one's my favorite. Dear Santa, how are you and the reindeer doing? I am doing fine. I want a new football game and a football because my little brother always tries to steal mine. He may look sweet, but he's the devil. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So (laughs) we know what kids are looking forward to at Christmas, right? They're looking forward to all of those gifts. And with that in mind, I don't have little kids anymore at home. So if you're old like me and you don't have little kids, you don't know what's going on out there in the toy market. You haven't had to go to Toys R Us too much this year. You haven't watched all the commercials that come on the kids shows. I thought I would give some of you grandparents an idea of what your kids are looking for this Christmas. So I just Googled it. What are the top Christmas gifts this year that everybody is looking for? This is the first one. Hatchimals. You know what they are? i never heard of these things, okay? So this is how this works. You see the egg in the background? It's an egg. It comes as an egg, and what you have to do is like treat it nice and talk to it and rub it and stuff like that, and it hatches itself. The little creature on the inside begins to move and press and push, and it opens up just like a live animal would come out of an egg, And then you end up with some sort of ridiculous looking little creature that makes noises and freaks you out in the middle of the night by talking when you're asleep and all that kind of stuff. And then you have to take care of that animal and there's all this stuff you have to do. So uh, if you don't know what to get your grandkids, get them a Hatchimal, send it home with them. Do not leave it at your house and let their parents deal with it. That's the most popular gift they say this year. What else we got? Uh, The Nerf and Strike Drone Blaster. Um, (laughs) exactly again grandparents this is a great gift don't keep it at your house the kid gets a remote control and you go oh can he handle a remote control if he can hold a bottle he can handle a remote control this is a 21st century you give him a remote control this is a drone robot it changes into a tank or into a person looking you know soldier robot and you arm it with these Nerf darts and you don't even have to be in the room and you can attack your little brother. It's pretty awesome. So that's a big toy this year. What else we got? Drone helicopters. Dads are buying these for their kids. Don't believe for a second it's for the kids because dads everywhere are going to be flying these this season, right? These drones, like you can spend 25 bucks on one that will be broken before New Year's or you can spend 25,000 on one that you can fly your family to Paris on. But those are the, and and the amazing thing about this is say goodbye to your privacy because these things come with cameras. And so they just fly them over and, you know, take video of you doing whatever it is you're doing. So keep that in mind, drone copters. And finally, Trolls. Dear God, take me home to heaven now. (laughs) I thought this was over in the 70s. What in the world are people thinking that we brought back trolls? We made a whole movie about them. Kids went. We spent billions of dollars taking our children to see these things in movies. And now they are the hot toy. You can't go into any store without seeing them. They do all kinds of things. They have the ones that walk and talk and do all that kind of stuff. But if you ask me, they're entirely creepy, and if you bring one to my house, I will throw it in the trash compactor. That's <laughs> the deal. So, that's what kids are looking forward to at Christmas. What are you looking forward to? Family, time with family, you know, getting together with people that you don't always see all the time. Traditions, things that you that you only do at Christmas time that you've been looking forward to doing again. Uh, big Christmas dinner and all the trimmings and all the stuff that goes with it and all the things that you don't get to eat any other time of year except at Christmas time, all the cookies and all the baked goods and all that stuff. Um, maybe what you're looking for is uh, forward to is uh, this year's Christmas Eve service. This is my shameless plug. <laughs> Christmas Eve service, right? Um, and and uh, Ricky and Garrett were talking about this earlier, but I just strongly encourage you guys, if there's a way you're in town You take whoever's at your house, you bring them here, we're going to have a Christmas Eve service where we get everybody's eyes off the other lights and get their eyes in the light of the world. We're going to spend time worshiping Jesus on Christmas Eve. Maybe that's what you're looking forward to because there's a lot to look forward to at Christmas. But it also comes as no surprise that there's a whole lot of people, for a whole lot of reasons, not looking forward to Christmas. There's a lot of people who, in a lot of ways, are dreading Christmas. Christmas they're missing a loved one who's not going to be with them this year. Maybe never going to be with them again. Or, or maybe they know they're getting together with family and that's not a good thing. There's going to be tension. There's going to be issues. There's going to be that uncle who gets drunk every Christmas and then there's a, there's a hassle and there's a problem and there's a fight and, and people are not looking forward to that. There's All kinds of extra expenses, there's a pressure that's put on us to buy that new drone for the kids and all of that kind of stuff, and credit card bills are going to go up, and then we're going to have to deal with all of that. There's stress that just comes around the holidays that really isn't here in the same way any other time of year. It just goes on and on and on. Last week, we talked about this, all the beautiful Christmas lights that get our attention and all the things that surround Christmas that aren't necessarily what Christmas is supposed to be about. And so how do we get our eyes onto the light of the world this Christmas season? Some of us haven't even enjoyed the Christmas lights. Some of us are are in a fog these days. There's a lot of people who are in depression. There's a lot of people who are discouraged. There's a lot of people who, when they look out, what they see is darkness. Darkness. And when you look at the situation in our world today, there's a lot to be sad about. There's a lot to be discouraged about. There's a lot to not be optimistic about. You watch the news and you see what's going on and you shake your head and you say, my goodness, another shooting. My goodness, another drive-by. My goodness, another... did you see um, uh, yesterday? In Turkey, another terrorist attack, dozens more dead, and on and on it goes. It's been a lot, it's been a tough year for a lot of us, personally. Personal losses, family problems, health issues, finances, the election. I know we we joke about this the election, but I don't know in my lifetime if I've ever seen the. The attitude of our nation so pessimistic when it comes to these issues of leadership in our country and all that. And, and I'm not kidding. I, I told you this. I googled top gifts for Christmas this year, right? And I skipped one that I did not show you. And I'm telling you it's on everybody's top ten list for Christmas this year. And it speaks to the attitude of our nation. This is it. We have Trump and Hillary toilet paper. It's one of the top selling Christmas gifts this year. Now, let's face it, there is a sense of darkness for a lot of people that they're facing this season. It's pretty negative. And I was thinking about that recently, and a passage of Scripture came to my mind that I never have associated with Christmas before, and you've probably never associated it with Christmas either. It's in the book of Isaiah, and I want you to take your Bibles, if you have a Bible with you, and I want you to turn to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. It's in the second half of your Old Testament after Psalms and Proverbs and Song of Solomon, keep going to the right, you get to Isaiah. And I want you to go to Isaiah chapter 6. Now, there are numerous passages in Isaiah that you're used to hearing preached at Christmas time. This isn't one of them. This is not wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. That's another passage. But here in Isaiah chapter 6, there's a very famous story. It's a story in which Isaiah. Uh, has a vision of God. This is Isaiah's calling into his prophetic ministry. And it begins in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. And I just want you to pay attention to the part that everybody seems to not notice. Isaiah 6, 1. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, and the train of His robe filling the temple. A seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. It's a spectacular picture. If you've never seen this passage or thought about this, just imagine this vision that Isaiah has, that not only does he get to see the Lord... And, and he, he sees this, this stylized picture of God with the train of his robe filling the temple and smoke rising up the incense of the offerings of the saints. And all around him are these angels and the angels are, are singing or chanting back and forth antiphonally, holy, 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 holy. And they can't stop saying holy, 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 holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is filled with His glory. And the smoke is filling the temple. And you have this unbelievable picture. And this is the beginning of Isaiah's ministry, which is the beginning of a transition for the nation of Israel where they are called back from the darkness that they have found themselves in into a place of light where they become once again the people of God in a way they have not been in a long time. And I want you to notice that this picture that Isaiah sees... This calling that he has, this moment that he has with God, where God reveals himself in a spectacular way, it happens in a very dark time. Look again at verse 1. In the year of King Uzziah's death. In the year of King Uzziah's death. Now, King Uzziah was this king that had risen up in Israel, and he was in a long line of kings of Israel. This one had been wicked, and this one had been wicked, and this one had been wicked. They had led the nation into idolatry. The blessing of God had been removed from the nation. And along came this king named Uzziah. And Uzziah was the first king in generations who called the people back to the worship of God. And finally... Some of the temples of the, of the idols were being torn down. Finally, some of the people were turning from their false religion and turning back to God. Finally, it looked like there was going to be a breakthrough and people like Isaiah were ecstatic and they were so excited because finally they had a leader who represented them. And then he died. And in the darkness of that moment in Isaiah's life, in the darkness of that moment in the life of the nation of Israel, the people of God, in that time of mourning and grief and bewilderment and confusion and utter darkness, that is when Isaiah saw the Lord. It was in that time that it was dark enough to finally look up and see the light. It was at that time that Isaiah said, I have no other choice but to come to God with my tears and worship Him. And as he knelt down to worship God, he looked up and God revealed Himself in a way that He had never revealed Himself before. And, and all kidding aside and all political uh, parties aside and all that kind of stuff, if you look at America today and you are discouraged about where we are, if you look at the world today and what you see is a lot of darkness and lot, not a lot of light, if you look at people today and you see them moving in the wrong direction away from God and not toward God, I want you to know that in this time of darkness, we should be able to see the Lord in ways we've never seen Him before. Are we seeking Him? Are we looking up? Are we looking for the light of the world in the midst of the darkness? There have been a lot of really dark times in the history of Israel You go back and read your Old Testament. I mean, there are wars and there are famines. There are times where they're taken into captivity. There are times when they're overrun by the enemy. There are times when they turn away from God and there's just idolatry everywhere. There are evil kings who get over on the people and take advantage of them and misrepresent God to them and misrepresent them to God. There are priests who just fail to serve as priests but instead get rich off the people. There are There are prophets who speak falsehood and the people are led astray. There are time and time and time and time again as you read the Old Testament where Israel just sees darkness. And through it all, the people of God have been waiting for a Messiah. The prophecies have come all the way since the book of Genesis. They've been waiting for this Messiah, this Deliverer, this One, the Christ The one who will come to deliver them, the one who will come to set them free from their oppressors. And do you think they were looking for the Messiah during the time of the Assyrian conquest when the Assyrian people took over Israel and ruled over them with an iron fist? Do you think they were looking for the Messiah during the the Babylonian exile, during the time when they took all of Israel's best and took them away and made them slaves in Babylon? Do you think they were were looking for the Messiah during the time of all of these wicked kings who, even when they were allowed to rule in Israel, led the people away from God? Do you you think they were looking for a Messiah when they faced famine and poverty and, and, and discouragement and destruction? How about the 400 years that they spent in Egypt? How about the 40 years that they spent in the wilderness? Over and over and over again, people just going, when's the Messiah coming? When are we going to get delivered? When are we going to get set free? Looking forward to the Messiah. And that's the part of the Christmas story I want us to focus on today. And to do that, I'm going to introduce us to two Bible characters that are right there in the middle of the Christmas story, and you probably miss them every time. We don't preach about them. We don't talk about them. We don't spend much time on these two. They come at the end of the Christmas story. It's a week now after the birth of Jesus. And we run into these two characters in the book of Luke. Their names are Simeon and Anna. They're old. And they've been waiting for Christmas their whole lives. And their stories are found in Luke chapter 2. So take your Bibles, New Testament, book of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Go to Luke chapter 2, and in Luke chapter 2, he uses very specific language to describe the way that they are looking forward to Christmas and and the weight that they have. He uses very specific language in Greek. In verse 25 of Luke chapter 2, we're told that Simeon is looking for the consolation of Israel. He's, He's looking for the consolation of Israel. He's an old man. He's been waiting his whole life. The consolation of Israel is the Messiah. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. And it says he's looking for the consolation of Israel. And verse 38 uses the same Greek word to describe Anna, who is even older than Simeon, and her friends who have been waiting as well. And it says that they are looking for, for the redemption of Israel. So we have Simeon looking for the consolation of Israel. We have Anna looking for the redemption of Israel. And in both cases, the same Greek word is used and is translated looking for. And it's a very specific word and it means to anxiously await the coming of something or someone. The word literally means to wait anxiously. And the best way I can describe this Is think about little kids on Christmas morning. Right? There's a tree over there, there's presents all under the tree, their names are on it. When I don't know what you do with your children, when our kids were little, our deal on Christmas morning was this, you know, we slept in until around noon or so. (laughs) We weren't that mean, but we would get up in the morning, right? And then and we would go out into the living room or or into a room that we had set up for Christmas and there was a manger there, and and a stable, and all the characters of the nativity, and there was a manger, and the manger was empty, and it had been empty ever since we set it up, you know, one hour after Thanksgiving when my wife says, go, and starts decorating Christmas, right? Um, We set it up then, and all of the characters are there, and the manger is empty, and then We would wait until Christmas morning. And when they got up on Christmas morning, instead of asking the question I asked on Christmas morning, which is, has Santa been here? They would ask the question, is Jesus here? And we would go and run into the room where the the stable was and the manger would be there, and there would be baby Jesus in the manger. And we would try to get their focus there. And then we would would, uh, read the Christmas story from Matthew or Luke. We would um, pray together. We would talk about... What an amazing thing it was that God had done for us. Because we wanted to get their attention on Jesus, right? But here's the deal. I'm here reading them the Christmas story. And they're looking right past me at the tree with the presents and the stockings hanging and all that kind of stuff. I don't think they heard a word. So when I think of this picture waiting anxiously, that's what I picture. And we used to do this too. We'd have this big family gathering on Christmas Eve with relatives and everybody would get together. When the kids were little, I'm telling you, there were hundreds of gifts, aunts and uncles and grandparents and everybody buying gifts for these kids. And the kids would have piles of gifts that they were just waiting to open. And we would sit them in a circle with their cousins and their siblings and we would make them open one gift at a time. (laughs) And then watch the other 11 open gifts, and then now it's my turn again. And it's so funny when you're watching your cousin open a pair of socks, and you're sitting there shaking this gift in your lap, you are waiting anxiously for your turn, right? That's what the word means. They're on the edge of their seat, Simeon and Anna. They can't wait because they have been told that the day is coming when the Lord is sending a deliverer. The the Lord is sending a redeemer. The Lord is sending one who will be a consolation for Israel. It had been 400 years since Israel had heard a word from God. No prophets, no miracles, no nothing. The question was, has God died? Did God even ever really exist? Picture this. 400 years, we read about it in the, in the pages of Scripture. It's two or three pages and we move on. 400 years. That, that's 1616. What was America like in 1616? Okay? 400 years. All those generations of Israelis, Hebrews, people of God, had come and gone. And all they had was this this prophetic word that one day God's going to come back and He's going to send a Redeemer. And you have to be wondering by that point, is this just mythology? Is this just old wives' tales? Is there anything to this God thing? I know we sit through Passover every year and we talk about God and His power, but where the heck is He? And Simeon and Anna waited their entire lives To see him. Now go to Luke chapter 2, verse 21. And when eight days had passed, that's eight days since the birth of Jesus, you have your your Hebrew male son circumcised on the eighth day. And when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. He's looking for the consolation of Israel. That's not a word we use every day, consolation. In fact, when I hear the word consolation, I think of consolation prize, which is generally what my team got every year in whatever league I was in, right? The consolation prize is the prize you get when you are a loser. And you lost. And, and you watch the game show, right? Right? And the winner gets $700 million, and the loser gets a consolation prize, this little plastic dashboard creature that sits on your car. That's that's what a consolation prize is. And the reason a consolation prize is given is to comfort someone in their misery. So the word consolation is really about comfort. It's about saying, I see your situation. I know what a mess you're in. I'm here to comfort you. And so what was Simeon looking for? As he looked for the Messiah, he was looking for comfort. He was looking for the consolation of Israel. They had been, over, they had been under Roman rule most, if not all, of his life, nearly 100 years. Life was difficult for the nation of Israel in those days. There's no end in sight. It was dark. The most powerful army in the history of the world is ruling you with an iron fist. You have no rights. You're treated like second or third or fourth class citizens. You don't have any say in what happens in your own life. You're overrun with burdens that are being placed upon you by the government and the evil king that is making your life so terrible. And there had been a few people who rose up in the last couple of generations who started to lead a a revolution, if you will. And people said, hey, this might be the Messiah. This might be the one. This might be the one who has come to lead us. And yet every one of them rose up and every one of them faded away and none of them delivered Israel. And so they were waiting for this comfort. They were waiting for this consolation. And they were just disappointed. Have you ever looked forward to something only to be totally disappointed? (laughs) <laughs> I, I probably should see a therapist about that. but I always remember my 16th birthday. It was a big deal, right? Turned 16. I know it's changed today, but in my day and, and some of your day, on the day that you turned 16, what did you do? Yes, you went straight to DMV, met those lovely people. And you got your driver's license. And by that afternoon, you were in a car filled with your friends doing crazy stuff, right? That's what I was looking forward to. And I was the fourth child. So I had a sister who couldn't care less about cars, but she was an animal person. They wanted to give her a car for her 16th birthday. She said, no, I'll have a horse. They gave her a horse. My my second uh, sibling is a brother. On his 16th birthday, he received the coolest car any of us had ever seen. That was his birthday gift. My third sibling is a brother who is two years older than me. Uh, this is the 1970, mid-70s. He turned 16. They gave him a blue 69 Camaro. And now it was my turn. 16. Couldn't wait. Just watching the calendar days. And... and we gathered together, and I knew that times were tough. My family was struggling financially. And my dad was in business for himself, and things weren't going well. But there was a precedent. I knew I'm getting a car. They took me out to dinner on my 16th birthday, and they handed me a little box, and I knew what was in it, car keys. And I opened it, and it was a plastic model car with a $50 bill stuffed inside, And they said, we're sorry, we couldn't afford to get you a car this year. And I laughed, and they didn't. (laughs) And they were serious. And I was the only one. Don't you feel bad for me? I mean, really. It explains a lot of my neurosis, doesn't it? (laughs) I just remember the feeling when I went to bed that night. Like, I knew times were tough for the family. You know, now I, I look back and I realize, that 50 bucks was really hard for them to come up with. They made sacrifices to do that. But boy, at that time, I didn't understand. What I knew was I was looking forward to something. I had told my friends it was coming. It was just a matter of when I was going to pick them up and we were going to go driving around. And it didn't come. And I was pretty disappointed. I was almost inconsolable. Simeon has been waiting his whole life for the consolation the comfort of Israel. The desire to be comforted is a basic human desire. If you don't know that, just hold somebody's baby. Because, because when a baby is crying, oftentimes all it takes is you have to comfort them. I, I, was, I was out to um, breakfast yesterday with uh, the Sandwald family, and and Will is just like the coolest most chill baby in the world. I think that a lot of people are afraid of him cuz he's bigger than the waitress, but that's <laughs> he just he's just really chill, right? And then and then he started to fuss and immediately his mom picked him up and what did he do? He calmed down cuz she comforted him. It's natural. In fact, studies have been, have been done, you've heard about this, that, that in places like orphanages where there's not enough manpower to care for the children, if babies are not picked up and held and comforted and, and touched nicely, you know what happens? They generally die young. It's an absolutely essential thing to be comforted. And here's Simeon waiting his whole life for this desire. I just need to be comforted. I know that God is real. I know that he loves. But every time I look around me, I can't see any evidence of it. And I'm just waiting for the comfort that I so long for. Discouragement, frustration, failure, people letting you down, hopelessness, depression, all of that stuff is compounded at Christmas time. Suicide rates go up this time of year every year. Jesus came to be our comfort. They were looking forward to the consolation, the comfort that came in the Messiah. What are you looking forward to at Christmas? That's why Simeon was so excited about Jesus. It cracks me up. Look what he does. Pick it up in verse 27. Luke 2, 27. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your words, for my eyes have seen your salvation. And when I read this, I don't know if we can get a great picture of what this is like. Here's this guy who's been waiting his whole life, and he represents Israel, who's been waiting its entire history. And finally, he sees the consolation of Israel. And he doesn't, there's not a word about going up and meeting the parents and introducing himself. It says he took the baby. And, and, and it's like he has this proclamation that the newborn king has come. And the only way I could think of this was when my kids were little, the big movie out was The Lion King. And remember this scene? Right? The newborn king. And everybody gathers around, and then there's this holy man who lifts him up like this, and then everybody does their little chant and dance, and everybody bows down. Right? <laughs> this is what Simeon did. He took Jesus in his arms, and he rejoiced, and he praised God, and he went, Finally! Finally! The consolation of Israel, finally the comfort we've been waiting for, finally the hope that we've waited for generation after generation, decade after decade, century after century, millennia after millennia. They've been waiting and finally the king came. I guess Mary and Joseph had to get used to it. The angels, shepherds, wise men, everybody came and they, they all wanted a piece of this baby. And God gave Simeon special insight into the significance of this child. And there were lots of parents there presenting their children that day, but this one was special. And Simeon knew it. He was seeing the consolation of Israel. Emmanuel, God is finally with us. Christmas is a reminder that if you need comfort today, you don't have to look any further than Jesus. It's amazing the places we look for comfort, you guys. It's amazing. We were talking about this in men's Bible study yesterday. Israel, when they got led out of Egyptian bondage and they're out into the wilderness and things got difficult in the wilderness, what did they say again and again and again? We should go back to Egypt. <laughs> At least we were comfortable. All they wanted was out of there until stuff got difficult. And they said, we got to get back to our comfort zone. We got to find our comfort somewhere, right? And people find their comfort in the bottle. People find their comfort in pills. People find their comfort in just... Uh, The internet, people find their comfort in the arms of another person. People are looking somewhere, somehow I need some comfort in all of this darkness. And I'm here to tell you that if you're looking in a bottle or if you're looking at a computer screen or wherever it is you're looking, thinking you're going to find your comfort there, you don't have to look any further than Jesus. All that stuff's counterfeit. All of that is the blinking lights all around you and they darken out the light of the world. Get your eyes on Jesus. The comfort of Israel, the comfort of our lives. Anna was looking for more than just comfort and consolation, though. She was looking for redemption. Skip ahead to verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Fenwell, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple serving night and day with fastings and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak to Him and all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. She too is a prophet. And the Lord had given her insight that you are not going to die until you see the redemption of Jerusalem. Redemption. Now, redemption is is different than consolation. Redemption is I am sold into slavery and someone comes and buys me out. Redemption is, is to be sought out when I cannot save myself and to find me where I am and pull me out of my calamity and save me. Redemption is salvation. She was looking for the redemption of Jerusalem and God sent a savior and they called his name Jesus which means He saves. You see, it's great that Jesus comforts us. But if all He did was comfort us on our way to hell, it wouldn't be worth a whole lot, would it? That's what the world is trying to do, you guys. The world is trying to comfort people on their way to hell. Jesus said that's not enough. It's not enough to bring comfort. I have to bring redemption. He didn't just come to comfort us. He came to deliver us. He came to redeem us. He came to set us free from the curse of sin. He came to die for us. He is our redemption. That's why you can't separate Christmas from Good Friday and Easter. People say, well, which one's the most important one? Which is, which is the big holiday on the Christian calendar? Listen, it's all one package deal. You can't separate Christmas from Good Friday and Easter because the Jesus who is the Redeemer in the manger, as the babe in the manger, becomes the suffering servant on the cross. And the suffering servant on the cross who dies to pay the penalty for our sins becomes the risen Savior who is seated at the right hand of the Father and makes intercession for us even today. He is our Redeemer. It's not enough to just be comforted. We need to be redeemed. And God wasn't willing to just pat us on the head and say, there, there, it's all going to be okay. He actually became one of us so that he could borrow death, so that he could use it on our behalf to set us free from our sin. Jesus came to die for our sins. That's what Christmas is about. And I can think of no better way to celebrate Christmas as the body of Christ than for us to share in the Lord's Supper together. Because... We need to not just remember Jesus in the manger. We need to not just remember the comforter. We need to remember that He came to die on a cross and that His blood and His blood alone washes us and sets us free from our sin. So right now, we're going to share in the Lord's Supper together. Those who will be serving, if you guys could get prepared for that, I want to get our hearts focused on Jesus the Redeemer. So if you're a follower of Jesus today, if, if you have a personal relationship with Him, and, and if, if Christmas means more to you than presents and trees and, and, and songs that we sing, but if you remember that the one who came to be our comforter also came to be our deliverer, and you've been delivered from your sin, this is your celebration. Jesus invites you. He said, come to the table. And and share in this. And whenever you do it, do it in remembrance of me. And from there, he went to the cross and laid down his life.